Welcome to Torati Mecha Nach Yomi with the OU Women's Initiative. My name is Adina Blaustein, and today we're going to be studying Nehemiah chapter 13, the final chapter of the book of Nehemiah. In chapter 12, the joyous procession around the rebuilt and repopulated city of Yerushalayim seems to suggest that the three major goals of the book of Ezra and Nehemiah seem to have been achieved. The Beit HaMikdash is rebuilt. The people have expressed a commitment to Torah and signed an amana, signed their names to oaths expressing that dedication. The city walls are rebuilt, but not only that, the city itself is vibrant and populated. And chapter 13 even begins with what seems to be the final part of the temple dedication ceremony. They read from the Torah, at that time, they read to the people from the book of Moshe, and it was found written, No Ammonite or Moabite might ever enter the congregation of God. And the people then separate from their foreign spouses. If only the book of Ezra and Nehemiah ended here. The Beit HaMikdash, the Torah, the city of Yerushalayim, all are restored and rededicated. And since Nehemiah, from a chronological perspective at least, seems to be the last book of Tanakh, that would then be how our chronological history of Tanakh would end as well, on this uplifting and optimistic note. But instead, Nehemiah chapter 13, the closing chapter of the book of Ezra Nehemiah, seems to be an undoing of each of the three major accomplishments. Each of the three episodes that we'll read about in Nehemiah chapter 13 seems to suggest that the purity of the Beit HaMikdash, the dedication of the people to the Torah, and the holiness of the city of Yerushalayim is not quite achieved. The first episode is described in verses 6 through 13, and it describes a situation which seems to show the vulnerability of the Beit HaMikdash. The context is that Nehemiah seems to have been out of town. There seems to be a period of time I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes of Babylon, I went to the king, and only after a while did I ask leave of the king to return. And when I arrived back in Jerusalem, I learned of the outrage perpetuated by Eliashiv on behalf of Tobiah in assigning him a room in the courts of the house of God. We learned that there was a priest named Eliashiv who was in charge of the storerooms of the Beit HaMikdash. This seems to be a different individual than Eliashiv who was a Kohen Gadol at that time. During the time period that Nehemiah was called back to Persia and left Jerusalem, it seems that Eliashiv decided to profit from Nehemiah's absence. He gives Tovia, the Ammonite, who was one of Nehemiah's stated enemies in previous chapters, a room in the temple. It's unclear exactly what that really means, 
But what is clear is that Tovaya was able to then act as a supplier or a middleman and very much benefited from this arrangement. Both Tovia and Sanbalat were related by marriage to the priests of the Beit HaMikdash, and these marriage alliances were being used now to their advantage. It seems that Tovia was benefiting financially from this arrangement and was probably slipping El Yashiv the priest something on the side. This episode is so tragic because it expresses how the Beit HaMikdash and the priests have become a place that's vulnerable to those who would manipulate it for personal gain instead of a place that's meant to be the absolute opposite of that, which is selfless devotion to Hashem. This episode, unfortunately, also foreshadows what will mark the Second Temple era, where the Beit HaMikdash did become corrupted, and even the role of the Kohen Gadol was sometimes sold to the highest bidder, truly a perversion of everything the role and the place is meant to be. Nehemiah's reaction when he discovers this in verse 8, Vayira li ma'od, va'ashlicha et kol klei beit tovia hachutz min halishka. I was greatly displeased, and I had all the household gear of Tovia thrown out of the room. But then Nehemiah discovers a different problem. The ma'aser, the tithes, that were meant to be contributed to the Levim were not being distributed. And so, and so the Levites, because they weren't being paid, simply left their posts at the Beit HaMikdash and just went back to their own homes. Nehemiah sees this situation as indicative of a much larger problem. As he says in verse 11, Va'ariva etaskanim va'omra madu'an ezav beta elokim ve'ekbetsem va'amidem al-omdam. I criticize the prefect the overseer saying, how is it that the Beit HaMikdash has been neglected? And then I recalled the Leviim and installed them again in their posts. Nehemiah then rectifies the neglect of the Beit HaMikdash, not only by recalling the Levites to their posts, but also by appointing trustworthy people who will ensure that the Maaser, the tithe, is distributed correctly. Unfortunately, as we know from the history of the Second Temple era, corruption and desecration will come in ways that are worse than even Nehemiah could have imagined. The next episode, described in verses 14 through 21, details another really distressing situation. As verse 15 tells us, Bayamim hahema ra'iti bihuda dorchim gitot b'shabat umviyim ha'aremot ve'omsim al ha'chamorim at that time, I saw men in Judah treading wine presses on the Shabbat, and others bringing heaps of grain and loading them onto their donkeys, also wine, grapes, figs, and all sorts of goods, and bringing them into Yerushalayim on the Shabbat. I admonished them there and then for selling provisions on Shabbat. He explicitly criticizes them in verse 17 for this. I criticize the nobles of Yehuda, saying to them, What evil is this that you are doing, profaning the Shabbat day? And he goes on in the next verse, This is just what your ancestors did. And because of it, God brought all the misfortune on the city. And now you give cause for further wrath against Israel by profaning the Shabbat. Nehemiah clearly sees this as a desecration of the city of Yerushalayim. 
They are profaning the holy walls of the city and the very space of the city itself by engaging in trade with goods from outside the city walls to within. They are risking seeing the city walls that they worked so hard to rebuild once again to be destroyed. Nehemiah takes steps to remedy the situation in verse 19. When shadows filled the gateways of Yerushalayim at the approach of the Shabbat, I gave orders that the doors be closed and ordered them not to be opened until after the Shabbat and to ensure that this would continue to happen even in Nehemiah's absence I stationed some of my servants at the gates so that no goods would enter the city on Shabbat. It's interesting that just like the aftermath in the first episode, when Nehemiah discovered that Tovia was manipulating the priests and the Beit HaMikdash for his own gains, and Nehemiah himself threw out Tovia's property from the Beit HaMikdash, here too, the emphasis is that Nehemiah himself orders the gates to be closed, and Nehemiah stations his own guards at the gates. So one can't help but wonder, does this emphasize Nehemiah's righteousness and heroism as a leader? Or does Nehemiah have some sort of hero complex, thinking that only he can solve the situation? Does Nehemiah not have any allies among the people who can join him in ensuring that the Beit HaMikdash and the city of Yerushalayim express their true ideals? And emphasizing this point is that it seems to be the nobles of Yehuda who are actively participating in the desecration of Yerushalayim by trading and engaging on commerce on Shabbat. Nehemiah can't lead alone. And the third episode of chapter 13 emphasizes that point as well. In the third and final episode, in verses 23 through 31, Nehemiah then sees that the laws of the Torah are being ignored. Chapter 13 began by a description that the people read the verses from the Torah describing the prohibition against marrying into the Canaanite nations. And tragically, as verse 23 describes, Gam ba'emim ha'hem ra'iti et ha'yehudim hoshivu nashim ashtadiot amaniot mo'aviot. At that time, I saw that Jews married Ashdodites, Ammonites, and Moabite women. And as verse 24 continues to describe, Uvnehem chatsi midaber Ashdodit ve'enam makirim ladaber Yehudit ukelshon am va'am. And a good number of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and the language of those various people and did not know how to speak Hebrew. The clear verses in the Torah that they read forbidding marriage to the Canaanite nations are clearly being ignored. And the children don't speak Hebrew. This next generation is in grave peril of losing their Jewish identity. Once again, the Psukim describe Nehemiah's dramatic reaction. As verse 25 says, Va'arivimam, va'aklaleim, va'akemehem anashim, ve'emritem, va'ashpi'em ba'elokim imtitnu b'notechem levnechem, imtis'um ibnotehem levnechem v'lachem. I criticized them, I cursed them, I flogged them, I tore out their hair, and I reminded them of the words of Hashem, you shall not give your daughters in marriage to their sons or take any of their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. And we learn even priests are intermarrying, and Nehemiah ensures that all priests who have foreign connections are removed from their jobs. The structure of chapter 13 is quite deliberate. Each of these three episodes, the desecration of the Beit HaMikdash's purity, because of Tovia, desecration of Yerushalayim and her walls, 
because of the commerce taking place on Shabbat and the desecration of the Torah by ignoring the commandment not to marry from the Canaanite nations is each followed by a dramatic reaction from Nehemiah and then a phrase that repeats three times throughout this chapter. After Nehemiah sees the desecration and takes action, he says a version of this, as it says in chap in verse fourteen: "Zachrali Elokai alzot v'al tamach chasadi asherasiti bevet Elokai v'mishmarav." Oh my God, remember me favorably for this, and do not blot out the devotion I showed toward the house of my Hashem and its attendants. After each terrible discovery of desecration, Nehemiah turns to God and asks to be remembered favorably. Nehemiah's prayer is an invitation for us as well to consider how do we regard this time period and these books of Ezra and Nehemiah. As I said earlier, the book could have ended earlier. It could have ended in chapter 12. But by including chapter 13, the effect created is that the excitement that we had at the conclusion of the procession at ending at the Beit HaMikdash is deflated because we have the realization that without a leader like Nehemiah standing firmly as the guard for the Beit HaMikdash, for the Torah, for the holiness of the city of Yerushalayim, things would quickly fall into decay and defilement. The book ends with an incredibly anticlimactic ending and it forces us to debate. What answer would we give to Nehemiah's prayer? Will we remember him for good? Will we remember this time period as a success? Did he achieve his goals? And that is exactly the point. That seed of doubt is exactly what the people living through Shivat Zion felt. They had heard the words of the Nevi'im, Yeshayahu and Zechariah, about what the return to Yerushalayim would be like. And when facing the challenges of their day, it's human nature. They doubted, was that really Geulah? Did their lives really have cosmic historical significance for the Jewish people? Was God's hand really acting through history? By ending on this anticlimactic note, seeing how the Beit HaMikdash, the Torah, and the very city of Yerushalayim had enduring challenges, there is an unresolved ending. And it's almost like the books of Ezra and Nehemiah are ensuring that we will seek to write another chapter, that we too will ensure that we devote ourselves to the movement of Shivat Zion, to the return to Zion, to finish the project that they started, and to ensure that this time around, it's the ending, the true redemption, that we so desperately long for. And with that, we conclude our study of the book of Nehemiah. I welcome your questions and feedback. Please feel free to email me at adinablaustein at gmail.com. Thank you for studying together. Le'ilo Nishmat Rose Foreman, Rachel Rachel Bat Arye Lieb, and Rachel Zeitlin. Rachel Bat Shlomo.